So in the wake of Argentina's 2-1 defeat to Saudi Arabia to kick off their potentially tournament winning run at the World Cup to crown Messi's career of of unbelievable achievements <laughs> there was a lot of disappointed reactions in Argentina and around the world so to pay tribute to that we are going to play a game called is this headline a response to Argentina's loss against Saudi Arabia or a national tragedy <laughs> Right, okay. This is exciting, our first game of the season. This is an exciting moment. Okay, so I'm just going to fire them at you. Are they going to be in Spanish or English? They have all been translated into English. Phew. That allows for me to draw on a wide range of media materials from around the world. Love it. Okay. A historic defeat. (laughs) See, oh, okay, so it could either be the Falklands or it could be this match. (laughs) Um, If you take that attitude into the game, we could be here for a while. (laughs) Um, I'm going to say this match. This is, this is this match. This is um, Tuesday morning's loss to, to Saudi Arabia in Qatar. What about... Imagine what a bitter blow it is to me. I'm going to also say that this was the Saudi match. Incorrect. (gasps) This is the Portsmouth Evening News' coverage of Neville Chamberlain's broadcast announcing war with Germany in 1939. Oh, right! Yeah. Okay. Let's go with grief of a nation. Oh, um... Uh, I'm going to go with this match. That is the uh, Space Shuttle Challenger disaster. And that was a headline in the Mirror in 1986. Oh my God. I'm not very good at this. A world blow. This match. That is this match. That is from Olay. You might think it's perhaps the death of a statesman. (laughs) um, Perhaps Nelson Mandela. But no, this is a world blow. A shame for eternity. Ooh, I'm going to go with a disaster. Disaster. What kind of disaster do you think it could be? A shame for eternity. Um, Possibly a, I don't know, a paedophile ring? (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe you haven't gone there. Um, By your face, I'm guessing it's not right. Uh, a shame for eternity. Uh, Second World War. So this is actually another football match that we are going to talk about. This is Correo Brasiliense reporting on Brazil's 7-1 defeat at the hands of Germany in 2014. Ah. Breakdown, grief, fiasco, shame, all correct. It's got to be this match. That is also from the Brazil defeat uh, against Germany. That is from O Diary in 2014. Oh. Uh, emotional overflow and nightmare banquet. 
I'm going to say not from this match. Unfortunately, you are wrong. Your track record in this game, absolutely abysmal. We're talking Argentina versus Saudi numbers. We're talking Brazil versus Germany numbers. That is that is from this match. I think that's from La Nación. It's like, I guess it's like, take this pain and turn it into gold okay i see like put it in your arsenal in the words of carrie fisher take this broken heart and turn it into art (laughs) okay i have one more oh my god if kinnock wins today will the last person to leave britain please turn out the lights (laughs) well that's not from this match (laughs) It's a favourite of mine. I think there's a way of repurposing it for when we get knocked out of the quarterfinals. Don't say that, Tamara. <laughs> I don't want your aphorisms here. Welcome to 110%. This is episode two, season four of our much lauded podcast about football, politics, society, and stadiums that look like vulvas. And what a lot we have to say about society today. So what were your favourite uh, moments from the World Cup this week, Tamara? It's been jam-packed. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like there have been four matches for the past two days and three before that and one even before that. So it's hard to catch one's breath. You become sort of comfortably numb, I think, to the constant receiving of news so, for example, when I was planning this podcast just now, I looked at my phone, I saw that Spain had scored seven against Costa Rica, and I felt nothing. <laughs> I felt nothing. I let the phone slip from my hand, because these are the things we just have to kind of take in our stride to keep us entirely focused on the big news-breaking stories, because unfortunately for the Spanish sweatshop teenagers <laughs> that are currently powering the engine room of the Spanish national team. It's just not a big enough story beating Costa Rica. It really isn't. I mean, this is why the group stages, you know, it's kind of all fun and games for the first two weeks. And then once you're past that, you really get to sort of go into the nitty gritty of each game. Because at the moment, I mean, we're spoilt for choice. We are spoilt for choice. How is it going to feel next time around when there are 48 teams in the group stage? God, don't. And they're in Saudi Arabia, so it will be November again. Next time we have the USA and Canada and Mexico. Oh, yes. The big North American group bid. I know what you mean about being spoilt for choice with news, even though, sorry, that was actually my phrase. Um, <laughs> I, I endorse it. I endorse it. Because I saw something quite far down about a member of uh, Fernandez, who's on the Portuguese team, uh, being asked about 
his compatriot mm-hmm. and fellow Man United player. Not for long. The lawyers will be on you. Not for long. Well, former, former, until such a time as it's official. It, it's official. It's official. So I'm he's breaking actually news just now. left. He has actually just left. They um, voided his contract. They he left by mutual agreement <laughs> yesterday night, and they are not going to pay him the 17 million to dig him out of his contract. He's just said hasta la vista. Tie a little bow on it. This was a shitty experience for both parties, and yep. he is now the only player at the World Cup without a club, which is quite normally there's a sort of sprinkling to give it a sort of homey style to give it a sort of 1966-esque grain (laughs) but in this fast-paced professional european super league in waiting world everyone's employed uh except for ronaldo well so i mean this world cup means a lot to him he'll uh he'll need that prize money to put food on the table this is this is the showreel he will need to put food on the table at any one of the CR7 hotels. But, so I saw that Fernandez had been asked about Ronaldo and their manager had just turned off the FIFA translator. So he was only allowed to answer in Portuguese and was... And then an English journalist asked a question in English and apologised to them for not doing it in Portuguese. And again, he answered in Portuguese and the manager turned off the FIFA translator. Which seems odd because, you know, there are a lot of people out there who speak Portuguese. You know, two entire countries at least. At this World Cup at least. (laughs) At least. And you'd think that not being able to translate something into English in the moment won't stop someone else doing it five seconds later. Something I could do with the help of Google Translate and exactly. perhaps one or two well-placed friends. Mm-hmm. It's not quite the silencing gesture that the Germany team were looking to uh, <laughs> draw attention to today with the with the sort of speak no evil monkey hand they put <laughs> over their face in, um, in protest of uh, homophobic. FIFA rulings. Mm. I think the Ronaldo thing is really interesting, right? Because this coming out in the middle of World Cup preparations, Portugal are going to play their first match on Thursday, and I offer no guarantees that this is coming out before Portugal play their first match. So <laughs> just to, just to highlight, but um, I saw today on ITV, Karen Carney was like, it won't affect the players they'll be so focused on their preparations and i think sure the magnitude of the world cup in these players sort of setting up means that it is really going to be very hard for them to detach from their process of preparing for it but at the same time it is a massive um attention draw from any other message they may be wishing to put across. I know Fernandez was, um, he was really outspoken before he came out to Qatar about uh, his concerns over Qatar hosting the World Cup. That's a really interesting line of questioning. He will not be asked about that for the entirety of Mm. the competition. 
Um, maybe being Ronaldo's teammate means you're actually kind of used to only talking about Ronaldo. <laughs> um, because, and, and you know, in, in light of that, Portugal were focused enough to win an entire Euros with him in the uh, in the team. So, so perhaps it will lessen uh, the impact mm. of this like huge news going around the camp and how he's viewed kind of as a player. But um, after the England match on Monday, one of the first reporters to grab Mason Mount when he was coming out for media duties was a Portuguese reporter. And he said, I'm Portuguese. I just wanted to ask you as a Chelsea player, the rumour is that Ronaldo's coming to Chelsea. How would you feel about that? And he said, I've just played my first World Cup match. I don't know what you're talking about. I only want to talk about the fact that I've just played my first World Cup match, which is staggering how much interest there is and... Yeah how much it can sort of overwhelm. So I don't think that should be discounted. That's very true. And I think, you know, there is possibly a sense that this news cycle of Ronaldo and is kind of being peddled in order that there is less focus on some of the, I would say, more important stories in Qatar, such as, you know, how uh, it is such a controversial World Cup. And obviously, you know, I play straight into that because the first thing I did was ask you about Ronaldo. You, are you Portuguese? Are you a Portuguese <laughs> reporter who's come to ask me about Ronaldo? <laughs> Today. And I, I just published my first World Cup 2020 <laughs> podcast and you come and you talk to me about Ronaldo? Are you crazy? Today I am Portuguese. I am Qatari. <laughs> I am... <laughs> I won't go on because the original was offensive. It's a shame that we aren't a 24-hour live streaming podcast because I feel like conversation has really moved on since Infantino's batshit speech. Yeah. I will excerpt a little chunk here for the listeners to enjoy. Today I feel uh, gay. Today I feel disabled. Today, I feel uh, a migrant worker. Time waits for no man. So we can't dwell on what this person that I would like to state on the record, this podcast has always had an issue with. Agreed. One of the many prescient opinions that you will find at 110% is a deep mistrust of Gianni Infantino. Yes. But I want to bring conversation back to your initial point about looking around and seeing all of these little nuggets scattered in the constant news cycle that's being thrown at us. I'm not going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about literally the biggest news stories (laughs) that have happened. Um, And first of all is that Argentina loss to Saudi Arabia that kicked off the competition it was the first time most people experienced um, the Saudi Arabian football team, or should I say Saudi club Al-Hilal, which had nine starters <laughs> in the team. Um, unlike 
an educated Chelsea fan who, who whose team faced down Al Hilal in the Club World Cup final. But this year, last year, it's all blended into one. <laughs> um, Thomas Tuchel was there. I remember that much. Four. And I think it's really interesting that everyone is so excited about this in the context of Qatar and sports washing and the idea that one of these dog and pony shows might be hosted in Saudi Arabia in 2030 that we broke last episode indeed um and it's it's just it's really fascinating because I think the fans excitement has been so captivating for football watchers I think it's very interesting to see such a sort of moment of national joy happening on enemy territory famously um, the Saudi takeover of Newcastle was delayed until Saudi Arabia shut down the illegal Premier League streaming service Be Out that they set up after a diplomatic rift with Qatar um, that saw them kick sports broad- broadcasters Be In out of their country so <laughs> Literally LimeWire. They had to shut down LimeWire <laughs> in order to um, to buy Newcastle. Um, so yeah, this this joyful moment is happening on essentially enemy soil, and everyone is excited, but everyone has a huge issue with Saudi Arabia. Yes, I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I couldn't do this podcast alone. <laughs> You just need a parrot or something who just occasionally says, oh, yes, absolutely. (laughs) I am the Infantino of this podcast. (laughs) Oh, God, does that make me set blatter? (laughs) God, no. But no, and I think I think you're right, because and I think also with Newcastle, we did see that like suddenly Saudi Arabia went from quite a nasty country in many people's eyes to the sort of savior of Newcastle. I think what we're seeing with Saudi Arabia in Qatar is that Qatar is at the moment facing a lot of pressure and comment about their own laws and everything like that. And Saudi has somehow managed to kind of slightly circumvent that because um, the attention is focused on the perceived wrongs of Qatar rather than Saudi Arabia. Fascinating. Um, It's a complete success. And much like... um, I wanted to circle back to the Newcastle thing because I've always thought it was really just fantastic for Saudi that they managed to find such a hearty available brand like Newcastle it's the north it's sporting heritage Mm -hmm. it's faded glory it's being controlled by this gammon-faced tyrant (laughs) that is Mike Ashley who is you know draining the club like a vampire it's not flashy Chelsea and that foreign mark it's like really some a story you can sort of get behind that mm. lifts the heart until you 
realized it's um, a sort of churning arm of the state. <laughs> and it really, uh, Saudi winning against Argentina is, is true sports washing. You can't watch that without a smile on your face. And, you know, how are you supposed to begrudge the players and the supporters? And you absolutely shouldn't. And then today was a national holiday in Saudi Arabia following that win. Wow. And you're like, okay, well, I know it's wrong for me to be judging the players and the fans, but then you see the kingdom so quick. You know, this is, a, this is the first match of the tournament. <laughs> so quick. I mean, what if they win again? Will they be doling out more national holidays? Oh my God. We'll wait and see. But, you know, so quick to capitalise on the joy and good feeling that has then been repaid in kind by an acknowledgement of it, a reward, the national holiday, abracadabra sports washing. <laughs> I don't know how to explain it anymore, but it just felt like, wow, this stuff really works because it was really satisfying and joyful mm. to watch. And of course, sport always is, but then immediately it was seized upon by the government so there really is no separation yeah and i think it would and i'm sort of reminded of the um game between england and iran obviously iran is a country where the laws are abhorrent the treatment of women is disgusting um as well as a number of you know other issues we have with it but the players themselves, and particularly the captain, you know, have have come out in support of the protests. And you know me, I love it when England win. You do love it when England win. <laughs> I do, but there was a part of me that wanted Iran to win because I think it would have sent, you know, a statement that we're winning, we are with the protesters, we're doing this for our country, but not our, not for the people in power. And I wonder if they had one, sort of how, how people would have reacted and probably it would have been similar to how people have reacted to Saudi, but even happier because those players and the fans were all overwhelmingly in support of each other and in support of growing rights in Iran. Absolutely. But it is a really complicated thing because in the stadium, it was fantastic. There were banners in support of Iranian women and there was a real purity to the spectators. You felt like they were all there Mm. to take part in this kind of joyful protest and the match was kind of kicked off by first the captain referencing god being the creator of rainbows Mm -hmm. which is certainly more than harry kane had to say the the poor man um (laughs) and you know starting by referencing the terrible times in his country and sending love to the families then they had the uh protest that they did during the anthem where they didn't sing and their eyes were downcast and this is in a stark contrast to every other team so so it really is making a a serious point but 
that before the tournament started, as you can imagine, there were kind of a wealth of Iranian voices sharing what they think it would be best for the national team to do. And a lot of people, former sportsmen, um, were saying things like, no, the entire World Cup should actually be boycotted, even as a supporter, because um, because the government will take any victory they have and try and put it through the machine, use it back to reflect glory on the government, as mm -hmm. in it is still a tool that can be used by the state for their own ends. Unfortunately, due to the drubbing that occurred, that we do not yet know if that is how it would be spun. But I think that's a really interesting perspective. It was mm. incredibly debatable whether Iran should be in the tournament at all. Um, the Ukrainian FA tried to get them thrown out for the missiles that they sold to Russia although oh. if we're going on arms dealing we wouldn't have a World Cup so uh, unfortunately that that was a, a late bid um, but more significantly FIFA is I'm going to get this wrong but FIFA you can only have your country certified by FIFA if you allow women into stadiums and Iran didn't for a very long time did for a very short amount of time <laughs> in a sort of tokenistic mm. yes please let us play in the World Cup kind of way and now women are banned from going to mixed gender sporting events so if FIFA wow. cared about its rules as much as <laughs> the armband protests would suggest <laughs> Iran would not be it wouldn't have a FIFA ranking it wouldn't be part of FIFA it wouldn't be allowed to play in the World Cup so complicated interesting I did not know that Very complicated. god that's just made me even more furious oh what are you gonna do with all this righteous oh, anger god I don't know nothing probably I think the final interesting thing to say on this topic, if I do say so myself, <laughs> um, is that Messi is an ambassador for Saudi Arabia. Mm. So when the time comes, I'm sure he will be heavily involved in helping Saudi Arabia get their World Cup bid over the line. And let's just say he earned his keep on Tuesday with an entirely lackluster performance. <laughs> interesting so now i don't want to get us into trouble but are you suggesting any sort of match throwing well no but um <laughs> something that i saw online because there is type in messi and ronaldo and you just find your way to the most irritating people on the internet and a lot of Argentina fans were suggesting that this was a game of 4D chess played by Argentina deliberately throwing this match so they could come second in the group which would mean they wouldn't meet Brazil in the semi-finals my god that oh I just that is far too complicated it's just it's a lot of variables 
people are not taking these kinds of logical risks. No. And I think the desperation with which Messi needs the World Cup to receive the same level of adulation as Maradona, which I would say Argentina is probably the last place where he doesn't have that. Um, <laughs> it's too valuable to mm. him and it's too valuable to his teammates who I think are as hell-bent on getting him there as um, as he is. They were just they were just limp. They looked damp and sweaty and tired and they were expecting, I think, Saudi Arabia to be shite and to, yeah. if they were going to put up a fight, it was going to be very much sit back, lock up, try and get them on the counter and hope for the running. But Saudi Arabia did the exact opposite and played with fun and verve. They, they were fantastic and, and Argentina were outplayed. So, on to the next um, big deal match that we have to look at, which is today's today's match, which saw Japan beat Germany. It was, it was a match of the ages, and it was mm, almost more thrilling even than uh, Argentina-Saudi Arabia. Mm. Before I get started on that, I do want to say there have been quite a high number of nil-nil draws. So boring. So there have been three nil-nil draws in 24 hours. Mm. And I think it's because clearly Spain was holding all the goals and <laughs> then unleashed them about against poor Costa Rica, who had no idea they were facing 24 hours worth of hoarded goals. <laughs> um, so in 2018, it took 27 games to get to the first nil-nil draw. Wow. Yeah. And here it's taken, what, three? It's taken three. It's taken four. Four. I think. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's, taken, it's taken four games and then and then they hit us over the last 24 hours. Um, but I will take a couple of nil-nil draws to be rewarded with to high quality upsets like we saw between Germany and Japan and Argentina and Saudi Arabia um, I've got some German words for you okay do I have to tell you what they mean you can guess oh god okay you can guess they I mean they're contextually relevant okay so first up we've got this is not going to be pronounced right how do you do the A with the two dots over it? Uh, oh God, it's an umlaut. Uh, I think it's like A. Erklingratsnot. Good God. Um, I gave that quite a Swedish inflection. You did. I was like, oh, it's Scandinavian. Erklingratsnot. Uh, no. Snot. <laughs> yes. Rung snot. Wrong snot. Snot. Uh, does it mean um, a set piece? <laughs> okay, you've gone too contextual. 
You've gone far too contextual. We are, of course, discussing metaphysics here. So this is a word that describes the state you might find yourself in when no excuse will get you out of the trouble you're in. <laughs> oh my god! So actually, you know, quite pertinent well, for this World Cup. Well, well, yes. Well, yes. <laughs> for the entire World Cup, you're you're absolutely right. Also, um, I think for for this match in particular, <laughs> I think what Hansi Flick did was he played Havertz as a false nine. And that man has not been watching his Chelsea matches because that <laughs> does not always fucking work. <laughs> and it, Germany have this, this amazing thing where they have so much talent and it doesn't really fit together because Ooh. I don't think necessarily in 2018 when they also lost their first match and spoiler alert they were knocked out bottom of their group in the group stages <laughs> but it wasn't there there isn't a sense of Germany going into competitions terrible mm. it's more of a drifting gloom that like the fog you don't really notice how bad it is until you're kind of in it and then you realize that yes you have Jamal Musiala who is an amazing generational talent who we should have locked away in England and thrown away the key because <laughs> he did have the chance to play and I think was part of the England youth setup but staggeringly chose Germany over being one of Southgate's brave boys <laughs> um, even though they have these players of incredible quality and him and Serge Nabry were just kind of a cut above the rest of the field there's just a sense that things don't quite fit together and you get this product that is so flashy and cold it's kind of like a gold toilet seat <laughs> or you know, a beautiful chilly piece of art where you're like, I know this is technically very fine, but it feels so remote mm. and it just doesn't seem to fit together. Um, whereas Japan were the complete opposite of that. They were like peppy, full of heart, very quick, very brave. Again, you have these two teams in Japan and Saudi Arabia. This was the first time that Japan has ever beat um, Germany. Mm. But neither team were sort of crushed by the weight of these big historical opponents. Yeah. Um, they didn't try and go on the defensive. They just kept playing with a sort of surprising amount of verve. Mm. And... Um, and I think there's a kind of entitlement to these, to these historic teams that see um, see themselves in a in a particular way, which brings us on to our next German word. Okay, bearing that in mind, Welchmers. Good God. Um... I tried to get a German passport. <laughs> <laughs> You won't get one after they hear this. Um, oh God, is Welch life or something? Or is that 
while oh god who knows um i'm going to say it means arrogance okay so welchmerz means mental depression or apathy caused by comparison of the actual state of the world with an ideal state wow <laughs> Oh my god. Oh my god. That sounds like the entire early 20th century. Well, I think that's where German football is heading. Because <laughs> I don't know if that's historically accurate. Um, but I do think, so this was the first game in 21 that Germany has lost. Wow. And it's the first one they have been beaten in after going ahead first because they scored the first penalty and lost since 1978 bloody hell which is an impressively shit achievement yeah I think it's really hard now for Germany because they went through so much torpor in Russia in 2018 going out in the group stage you know, Sturm and Drang, and now just using German words. Uh, <laughs> Do you know what that means? Struggling. Is it even correctly? I don't want to know. Um, you know, rising above all the criticism and changing managers. And now, mentality-wise, they're in the exact same place they were four years ago. And yes, they will face Costa Rica and if they don't score against Costa Rica that will be a very sad thing indeed but they also have Spain and Spain will beat them based on today's performance across the board Spain will, will probably roundly beat them unless they take heart and change what's what is clearly this kind of malaise that has descended upon the German team um, and quite when this started well last last World Cup last World Cup and the demons have not been extinguished no something I found out today is so the name for the German team used to be very famously Die Mannschaft. oh yes this summer they got rid of it because a few uh, significant people within the German FA thought it's too arrogant to call yourself the team. Which just <laughs> reeks of northern Protestantism. I mean... Oh my god. It's really... It certainly wasn't someone from Munich who, uh, who made that change. My god, that is... That's insane. What a pointless thing to do. I mean... This is a country that really did invest in denazification with a lot of hair shirts. I feel like mm. this feels like a decision that has strong links to, you know, the capacity for humility and bearing one's suffering and shame. Um, that, True. That Germany has a sort of recent history of. Yeah. And they are very, very good at carrying their own guilt. But is there too much of that if you, I mean, you won't yes. acknowledge that you're 100%. the team? But, you know, it's kind of like the flip side of that thing that I kind of hate, which was the 
Southgate's brave boys yanking the silver medal off because they, you know, it would the the second place shame would scold their skin. And it would, <laughs> would sort of that stop them awful. from being laser focused on on the world cup i don't agree with that but at least you could say it's a winning mentality it's the complete opposite of having your nickname changed because it felt too arrogant you are the german national team yeah i mean what do they change it to like the piglets or something like i'm <laughs> trying to think of something that would be like un unarrogant uncontroversial I mean, is it just like, did they just call themselves the men who like to play football and get paid to play football and sometimes play in tournaments? I'm sure there's a compound word for that in German that doesn't <laughs> doesn't exist in England. There will be. Just before we go, because I feel... I really enjoy German suffering. I'm a long-term fan ever since seeing Chelsea defeat Bayern Munich and... The Bayern Munich players scattered across the field at the Allianz like sort of toppled angels off tombs, <laughs> just sort of lying prone, looking like something out of an opera. It's it's really funny to watch the Germans lose because, as we've <laughs> said, they take it so heavily. Um, let's go back on this theme of historic upsets to what I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, which is the seven one victory over brazil oh because it is it is very rude i think to go to the host nation where they care about football so much and beat them 7-1 yes i think it's pretty poor but you know we've talked about this before on on the podcast the sense of when you know how much is enough and do footballers get to a stage in the match where they are disrupted from doing what they are paid to do which is either score goals assist in goals save goals or allow for the ball to go as close to their goal as possible <laughs> do we then expect them to go against everything they have been taught in order to save the blushes of their opponents who they will see for that 90 minutes as their enemies well that is i think something only you would defend <laughs> i think you're the last person with basic decency on this earth <laughs> who would keep it to a sort of five one Maybe yeah, I'd cap it. At seven, you'd let Oscar score a second in the <laughs> 92nd minute. <laughs> Famously, we have Muller, Close, Crows, Crows, Kadira, Schola, Schola, and then Oscar scores for Brazil in the 90th minute. Oh! It breaks your heart. It doesn't help that he looks like a sort of Caravaggio angel. <laughs> Just a real innocent with wide eyes mm. and curly brown hair. And he sort of had to prop up the collapsed dreams of a nation with one slow rolling shot that, <laughs> you know and then it's like run it back <laughs> we go again exactly come on seven more did you enjoy um england's eight nil defeat of norway in the euros this summer i did enjoy it and 
I found that I did find that my sense of oh gosh this is this is maybe a bit much was activated the klaxons were exactly exactly <laughs> the kind of like oh god don't show off but it was awakened uh later than um the 6-2 victory over iran that the men had a couple of days ago and i think that's because these women deserve to enjoy their time on the pitch not more than men i think more than but men. well yeah she <laughs> kind of do think more than men um especially now when you know they're still fighting for their place on the pitch and so i think and i think it would be so churlish of me to say you know say of these women oh yeah don't show off because that's probably what we've all been taught in the past never show off but no one's ever told that to men so i kind of think yeah that i was really happy about the 6-2 victory over iran i was obviously pleased with but i think they could have toned it down a notch it was a little undecorous but i will say there shouldn't have been those two iranian goals they were Quite, I I think the scoreline actually made us look quite bad, which you would disagree with. But to <laughs> me, they did firmly look like pity goals because actually if they went in for reals, that's a huge concern for uh, what in the past has, has been a recent past, I should say, has been a leakier defence than England may have liked. Yeah, I'll take that. You'll take that? I'll take that. You'll take that. <laughs> So, TB, what are you looking forward to most in the next few days? I'm really looking forward to England versus the USA mm-hmm. on Black Friday, a cursed holiday which America has gifted us to drain our savings by <laughs> buying plastic fur coats every year. This is not personal. <laughs> We are going to reclaim Black Friday as a national day of mourning for Americans. They're going to be sick on turkey and mac and cheese. And yes, I'm going to a Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow. And we are going to come in, show them who's boss. It's going to be the reverse Revolutionary War. (laughs) And Pulisic is going to be left weeping, weeping on the halfway line i'm really looking forward to it i'm really (laughs) really looking forward to it what are you most looking forward to well definitely england usa it'll be excellent it will be excellent it will be excellent but i'm also looking forward to brazil uh v serbia which i think is going to be I don't know. I think it could go either way. You think it could go either way? Yep. Brazil are the three to one favourites for this tournament and Mitrovic's foot has not fully recovered. (laughs) Someone's not been reading my explainer article. (laughs) You busted. You busted for not supporting my content. I like an underdog. You do. And Serbia are very much the underdogs. I really, really want to see what happens. When is the 110% derby? And by that I mean Serbia versus Switzerland. 
Serbia versus Switzerland, which we enjoyed so much last time the tournament happened. That is on Friday the 2nd of December. Friday the 2nd of December. We have a long run up to that. So the entire next episode can be pure prep for the most important game in the tournament. Until next time, Miss Whitting. Until next time. Mm -hmm.